Go ahead and give God one more big praise. <laughs> Hallelujah. It's good to be in the house of the Lord with you, and it's, it's been four or five weeks since I've had this privilege to stand behind this pulpit and share the Word of God with you, and I count it an honor and a privilege to be able to tonight. I was uh, sitting and putting this message together, and the Lord was writing on my heart as I was writing on my computer, and uh, about middle of the week, pastor walks in the office and looks down to the my pages on the Bible and says, you preaching out of that, Bible, that book? I said, yes, sir. He says, I am too. Then he told me what he was preaching. I said, well, one thing about it, we ain't got to worry about we're not going to be on the same page this time. Only for him to walk in this morning and say, God changed my message. And now we're back on the same page. Praise <laughs> the Lord. I just know that's just what happens when you serve the same God. Amen. And I just know that his heart and my heart, we are burdened for our church, this body that we love dearly. He started the fight this morning, and I'm going to try to help finish it tonight. We are fighting for this body in the spirit, with the spirit and by the spirit. Amen. Hallelujah. I'm going to ask for a start. I'm going to ask Brother Marvin if he would just stand, please, and ask the Lord to help me, Bill. I need his help. Amen. Amen. Yes. Let me begin by asking a couple of questions here. How many of you have been in your jobs for over five years? Anybody? How many have been at your job over 10 years? Wow. How many have been at your job 20 plus years? Wow. Some faithful people. Let me ask you now, how long has it been, though, since you've been promoted in your workplace? How many of you feel like you never will be, even though you feel like you earned it? You've worked hard. You've been faithful. You've served your company well. How many of you believe you've even been overlooked before that someone got what you thought you should have got? Well, I can't help you with that. I'll really speak to you why that happened to you or hasn't happened to you. I wasn't there but I have come to speak to you uh, when it comes to the kingdom work 
and you're being a hardworking, faithful Christian committed to the cause of Christ with a servant's heart that God sent me to tell you he's fixing to promote some folks. Hallelujah. For someone who thought it would never come, your day is coming. And all of your sacrifices you've made, all these things you've thought have gone unnoticed, all the unselfish deeds you've done, the countless hours of ministering to others, God's fixing to reward you for them. And I know this how. Because God has sent his word from heaven to tell me, to tell you, I'm just the messenger boy, that I'm fixing to promote my church. And God says it's time once again for it to be the head and not the tail. God says, I'm raising up the standard of the church and I will empower it once again to be transformational in nature and no longer subjective to cultural relevance that brings restraint to holiness to my church, not your church. He says to my church. Hallelujah. He's very well aware there are those who have their church, but he's not talking to them. He's talking to his church. He's very well of those that have imitations and simulations of his spirit that are of no effect to the body of Christ. They just simply draw the weak, but they never make them strong. They just simply draw the crowds, but they never grow spiritually sound in doctrine. They just simply reflect the culture of the times, but they never sustain the standard of holiness. They simply preach a cheap grace and never of the costly sacrifice of it. They create an atmosphere that is of no greater than that of a magician or a sorcerer who can make a false image or a perception to appear, but is of no greater effect than that of deception and mockery and false hope being planted in the minds of his people who then fell because of lack of knowledge of the truth. Counterfeiting has long been an option of false gods from the beginning of time. Angels and spirits that want to be like God, but they are no part of God, beginning with the likes of Lucifer who can appear as an angel of light, but is of no match to the true supernatural power of a living God who is the great God above all gods. There is only one God, and his name is Jehovah God Almighty. There's no God like Jehovah. I said there's no God like Jehovah. There's no God like Jehovah. There's no God like Jehovah. There is no God like Jehovah. And God is speaking through my mouthpiece to say to his church, because I'm very aware that the enemy is coming like a flood, what I'm fixing to give to you is going to be exceedingly abundantly above what you've ever thought I would do, and it's going to be more than you've ever even asked for me to do for you. And God says, I'm going to open up the windows of heaven. You think you've been going through what you've been going through, and at the same time never giving in, and you're fighting the good fight of faith, and I'm not going to reward you for your diligence and your faithfulness, for your unwavering faith, for your sacrifices of pain and suffering for my name's sake, will I declare to those who labor for the kingdom of God, do not labor in vain. 
For I, your God, am a rewarder of those who diligently seek me and are for me and who serve me with a grateful heart. You will I never be against thee, but always I will be for thee. God says, I got a plan for you. You're fixing to be promoted, taken to a different level with benefits and a better than you could ever have on earth 401k plan. It's not just going to include life insurance with it. It's better than that. It's an eternal life insurance plan that will provide for you for a far greater great of glory. And your children and your children's children are going to be the beneficiaries of your abundant blessings. Hallelujah. And somebody ought to be getting excited right about now, knowing there is a rhyme and there is a reason for your circumstances that you're going through. Hallelujah. For with God, they're not allowed to destroy you, but your adversity will actually be used to promote you, such as it was in the case of Joseph's life, given a vision by God, but yet rejected and hated by his brothers. He was sold into slavery. He was falsely accused, unjustly sentenced to prison, only for God to use all those things, the good and the bad, to build Joseph's character, to be that of a strong, courageous, faithful leader. When all the bad was over, God promoted Joseph to be what he dreamed he would be one day. And all this warfare you've been going through, the sacrifices this church has been making, the emotional, physical trauma is all going to pay you dividends. Because what the enemy meant for your bad, God's going to turn into your good. It's all been a setup for those who didn't give up. God said, so I could raise you up. Hallelujah. God says, I'm not promoting the world. I'm promoting thy kingdom to come. I'm positioning you now for your position then. Oh, come on, somebody. Somebody I just can tell is not getting this, but you know that's okay. Because it's not for everybody. Because you who haven't done nothing for the kingdom, don't be expecting something from the kingdom. Because to whom much is given, much is required. There's workers in the kingdom who have given and given and have been driven and been driven and they've been wounded and they've been bitten and they've been smitten. But you have not labored in vain. God is going to reward you for your pain because this is the hour of your promotion. We haven't been going through what we've been going through around here. Long days and sleepless nights and fight after fight and bad report after bad report. For no reason, church. No, 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 no. Every moment has a moment of purpose. Every trial has had a purpose. Everything about a believer's life has purpose. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but our God shall deliver them from them all. You may have been allowed to go into it, but he's always brought you through it, and you've never came out it like you went into it. Amen? You went into it weak, and you went into it scared. You went into it anemic, but you came out of it brave, fearless, and stronger than you've ever been before. And you're more confident now than ever that God is for me and that he's not against me. Hallelujah. I want to tell you something. War matures you. You become tenacious, and you become focused, and you become wiser. You become a veteran who is respected by God and his fellow soldiers of the faith for the selfless sacrifices you have made for the kingdom, for the enduring fight you have fought with an undying faith and a determination to serve God with all your mind, your body, and your soul, never wavering and never surrendering.
And God honors his soldiers of the faith. Even crowns them with his glory. Because you have fought the good fight. Therefore there is laid up for you in heaven a crown of righteousness. Which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to you on that day. I'm telling you, if you can get a hold of this like I got this in me, you would believe with me that the church is about to make history. That we're fixed and make our mark on this earth like never before. That the greater things he promised we would do are fixing to happen. Because of the greater things we have faced that even generations before us have never even faced. Because where sin doth abound, much more shall his grace abound in the worst of times. I'm going to tell you something. The world could lose its mind and the men's hearts shall fail them because of fear. And people will die for a lack of knowledge of who Jesus Christ truly is. But I want to tell you, the righteous shall prevail because the gates of hell shall not prevail against us. We shall run and not get weary. We shall walk and we shall not faint because no weapon formed against us shall prosper. Come on, somebody. Shout unto the Lord with a voice of triumph. Lift up his name. Say, Jesus. 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 Uh, come on. At the very mention of his name, I'm telling you, demons begin to tremble. They don't know what they was doing a while ago when they were singing that song. There's power in his name if we'll just begin to proclaim it. We are being assaulted, but after this moment tonight, freedom will return to this house of God. This anointing will break the yokes upon it, for where the Lord is, there is liberty. So I declare it one more time. Jesus, help me out here. Jesus. Jesus, I want to tell you something. There's a problem in the church when folks aren't shaking and trembling when we declare his name. They shouldn't be able to come in here with demons inside of them, and there's not enough power in here to cause demons to shake and tremble. When they can come in here and sit comfortably in here and walk out of here and live like they always have and never feel the convicting power of God to where they had to flee when they got a spiritual problem in the church. You remember when Jesus showed up, the Gennarians? I mean, when Jesus really showed up, the demons trembled and declared, we know who you are. What do you want with us? And he commanded them to flee, and they fled into the swine, resulting in a man who had been tormented to the point he resided in a graveyard, walking dead. Are you hearing me? But when the demons ran away from the presence of God, they left behind a man who was free and set back in his right mind because Jesus' presence was truly there. Deliverance was there. Healing was there. Why? Because his presence was there. Don't tell me when the, Jew, the true genuine presence of God is here that people aren't either going to run to him or run from him because they can't stay there like they were. I'm telling you something. There is something about the name of Jesus that when you mention the name of Jesus, the demons tremble at his name. Jesus. I said Jesus. I said Jesus. What am I doing? I'm fixing to sweep this house. I'm fixing to take his spirit like a broom 
And I'm fixing to sweep every demon, every demonic influence, every foe that's ever walked through these doors right out them front doors. I want to tell you, if you want to join me, I'd love for my saints to stand to your feet because God doesn't only want to overpower you with this spirit. He wants to sweep under your feet tonight. I come against that old spirit of oppression. I come against that spirit of depression. I break it in the name of Jesus Christ. Come on, somebody say, Jesus, Jesus. I speak to that old spirit of fear. I break it in the name of Jesus. Your people will not be bound no more. I say, Jesus, Jesus. I speak to that spirit of poverty. I speak to that spirit of pornography. It won't happen no more in here. It's gone out the front door in the name of Jesus. I speak to that addiction. I speak to that affliction in the mighty, mighty name of Jesus. I say, be healed in the name of Jesus. Be healed in the name of Jesus. Be healed in the name of Jesus. People say, well, Randy, you're acting crazy. You're acting kind of funny. You're acting peculiar. You're acting, you're acting like you lost your mind. No, I just want to tell you, I'm under the anointing of God. I come here determined tonight to change this atmosphere. I come here determined tonight by the Spirit of God. I say, Jesus, Jesus, what am I doing? I'm inviting his presence in here. I'm inviting the Spirit of Jesus in here. I want his presence to truly be here. This is the anointing of God. I'm going to tell you something. The anointing shouldn't be something you carry in your back pocket. The anointing shouldn't be something you just carry in your purse like a can of mace. No, the anointing ought to be like a bucket of grace. You go around throwing on people. Throwing on, bless your brother. Bless your brother. Bless your sister. Hallelujah. This anointing. There is an anointing. And God says, I'm fixing to promote my anointing upon you, upon the church. I'm going to bring her back alive. Hallelujah. It ought to make you brave. It ought to make you tenacious. It ought to make you willing. It ought to be able to make you do things you never had the gall to do before. It ought to be radical. There should be times you have to carry your anointing to the bathroom and give it a good talking to. Now listen here, anointing. You're going to have to settle down. You're about to cost me my job. I can't be out there checking folks out on the register and looking them right in the eyes and seeing their despair and wanting to lay hands on them and they falling out on aisle number five. I can't go shopping at the store and singing my worship songs going down the aisle and all of a sudden the Holy Ghost breakdown takes place on the produce aisle and I start knocking down all the displays and they have to call the security to take me out of the store. Sometimes you got to talk to the anointed because it'll make you do crazy things. It'll make you brave. It'll make you strong. It'll make you not care what the enemy thinks. Hey, we just got thrown out of Walmart. The anointed says, that's okay. Just go to Kroger. They're not the only saving place. Come on, somebody. Hallelujah. There is something that God wants to do in the midst of this place. And it's under the anointing power of the Holy Spirit. What I'm trying to say is you should wear the anointing everywhere you go. So more than just folks, people can see it on you. Hallelujah. I think I got a little carried away there, but I can't help it. It's just that anointing. I told you it just make you crazy. 
You can be seated if you like. Let's see if I can get on track here again a little bit. I want to take you to the book of Daniel, chapters 1, 2, and 3, to show you what I've been trying to tell some folks tonight, that God can do and has done what I'm telling you, promoted people who've been through the fire. There's the lives of four people I specifically want to talk to you about, found in these three chapters. Now, I'm going to move quickly. I'm telling their stories. There are Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now, I want to set this up by sharing their story first. Many of you know who, know who they are, and, but let me still remind those who do know, but let me enlighten those who don't know the story. Let me interject the same God then is the same God now. Let me interject that he's the same today, yesterday, and forever. Now, in Daniel chapter 1, let's read verse 1 because I want to set up the timeline. It says, in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. In other words, he overthrew it. And Jehoiakim was out, and King Neb, like I call it, like to call him King Neb, Nebuchadnezzar, was in king, was the king now. King Jehoiakim was the son of King Josiah. Josiah did what was right in God's eye, but Jehoiakim did what was evil in the sight of God. Therefore, God allowed them to be seized by their enemy. This was the first of three attempts to destroy Jerusalem. King Neb was allowed by God to do this, because verse 2 says, and the Lord gave King Jehoiakim into his hands. Why? Well, you have to read the prior stories to really find the reason, but to simply put it, because Israel turned their back on God, and God uses their enemy to bring judgment upon them. The king immediately instructs the master of the eunuchs to bring to him men that have been captured that could, they could turn into great leaders for his kingdom in the kingdom of Babylon. You must know that King Neb's men were Chaldeans. These were mean, ruthless soldiers. Chaldeans were known for their astrologers and their sorcery and their idolatry. King Neb wanted them to pick out men of Israel who were good-looking men, healthy-looking men, men full of knowledge and wisdom that could be conformed to speak and become like the Chaldeans, men who, who would adapt to their pagan culture. He was looking for the best of the best that could be trained. Now that he was king, he wanted men who could conform to their customs and the worships of their gods, even down to the point of eating only what they ate, delicacies, and drink certain wines that were according to their customs. And he wanted to put them through a strenuous three-year training program that was certain to teach them the language and the customs of the Chaldeans so they could serve the king submissively. Well, it was Daniel, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego who met the criteria because of their healthy outward appearances and reputations of courage and strength they possessed, as well as their knowledge and their wisdom. But according to verse 8, there's more to changing a man's heart than just changing his appearance. A man must serve you with all of his heart to be a true servant of yours. Size and stature alone are not enough. We found this to be true in the life of David. David was a rudy little red-headed boy, not a great stature like his seven brothers, but God chose him to be the king because of his heart. Because inside of him was a heart that loved God, more than all the others have been put together. And God described him as a man after his own heart. Verse 8 says, Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portions of the king's delicacies, nor the wine which they drank. Therefore, he requested not to have to partake of it. The king's diet would include meats that the Jews were forbidden to eat. The food and the drinks of the king were devoted to idols. Daniel was making a stand all on his own 
not willing to conform or compromise his beliefs or his relationship with his God or to an immoral culture or customs. He was not willing to file his body that was dedicated to God. And verse 9 says God had given Daniel favor with the eunuchs. But verse 10 says the eunuchs were fearful that Daniel's convictions might bring harm to them from the king. In verse 12, Daniel suggested them to test the servants. Give them vegetable and water for 10 days like I drink and see if it makes a difference in their health and stamina compared to the ones who eat what the king's delicacies are and drink his wine. Verse 15 says at the end of 10 days, Daniel's appearance appeared better and fatter in the flesh than the ones who ate the king's delicacies and drank the wine. And as a result, they began to feed all the men simply vegetables and water. And verse 17 says that God gave these four men knowledge and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. At the end of their training, the king summoned these four men, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, to interview them. Upon doing so, he was highly pleased with these men. Verse 20 says, In all matters of wisdom and understanding about which the king examined them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians, all the astrologers were in his realm. What did I tell you God's going to do in my opening remarks? That his genuine spirit is going to be greater than that of all this witchcraft, magicians, and sorcerers who are nothing more than counterfeits in these last days. That God is going to raise up men and women with greater power, wisdom, and knowledge to counter the spirit of this age to destroy the works of the enemy. A greater anointing that will send our enemy retreating and freeing people of their bondages of fear, oppression, and depression. See, there were some great apostles and some great teachers and great preachers in the beginning of time, but I'm convinced the greatest could still be yet to live in the end of times. Matter of fact, some of the greatest are coming back during the tribulation period. These four men were chosen to serve the king and not a good king. Now, let me take you to chapter 2. Quickly, let me show you something else. I'm heading somewhere with truth and proof of what God has sent me to tell the church. Chapter 2, verse 1, to set the timeline... It now says, in the second year of King Neb's reign, King Nebuchadnezzar had dreams, and his spirit was so troubled, his sleep left him. In other words, he's having some pretty good nightmares. In verse 2, he commands all the astrologers, the magicians, the sorcerers, any Chaldean to tell the king his dream. In verse 3, they responded to the king's request by asking the king to tell them the dream. Then they could interpret. But no, King Neb says, no, if you really are who you men claim to be, then tell me the dream and the in interpretation. If you can, I'm going to have all you fake people cut into pieces, but if you can, I'm going to greatly reward you. Well, the Chaldeans answered, there is not a man alive who can do what you're asking, O king. But in verse 12, King Nebuchadnezzar becomes furious with them. He commands all the wise men of Babylon to be destroyed. The decree went out, and even Daniel and his companions were on the list list. Well, Daniel hears of the king's decree, and he goes and he seeks the king, and he asks him for more time, and that he would give him the interpretation if he would grant it. So Daniel goes back home, and he tells Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego what's up, asks him to help pray that he may seek God for the answers to the king's secret so their lives might be spared. Well, in verse 19 says, the secret, the interpretation to the king's dream came to Daniel in a night vision. And Daniel praised God for his help. Verse 24, Daniel goes to the king's captain and says, take me to the king. I'm going to tell him his interpretation. So he does. And the king asked Daniel, are you able to do this? And Daniel says in verse 27, 
The secret the king has demanded, the wise men, the astrologers, the magicians, and the soothsayers cannot declare this to the king. And church, that still rings true today. Everybody's looking for answers in the wrong places. They are seeking psychics. They're calling psychic hotlines. They're reading horoscopes. They're asking their friends, and they're asking their neighbors. And no one has the answer. Never will man's wisdom simply have the answers. There's only one God who knows it all, and he's omnipotent, he's omnipresent, and he's omniscient. These counterfeiters are limited to their knowledge and their power. In verse 28, Daniel declares this to the king. He says, these men don't know, but there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets. And he has made known to you what will be in your latter days. Then verse 30, Daniel declares, as for me, the secret has not been revealed to me because I have more wisdom than anyone living. But it's for our sakes who make known the interpretation of the king and that you may know the thoughts of your heart. In other words, to protect us and to reveal to you your wicked heart. Daniel tells him his dream. Then he gives him the interpretation of his dream. He told King Nebuchadnezzar how that another kingdom would come and destroy his kingdoms, no matter how great he ever made them. Upon the king hearing this, he falls prostrate in front of Daniel and commanded he be rewarded as promised. And he said to Daniel, truly, your God is the God of gods, the Lord of kings, and a revealer of secrets. And then in verse 49, he says, Daniel, thinking not of only himself, also petitioned the king for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to be used help to govern the affairs of Babylon, and the king granted it. But it was Daniel, though, who sat at the gate of the king. Now, into chapter 3 quickly, the final piece. Before I put all this together in your eyes, we know Daniel's position now. But I want to talk more about his companions now, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. In chapter 3, King Neb decides to build an image of a golden idol. A false god, still due to his wicked heart. The height was 60 cubits, his width was 6 cubits. In our day, that's 90 feet tall and 9 foot wide. He set it up in Babylon. And King Nebuchadnezzar, upon it being built, summons all of his key leaders of the kingdom to attend a ribbon cutting, dedicating this image the king was so proud of. The king had his herald read all the decree he wrote. He cried out aloud, To you it is commanded, O people, all nations, all languages, in other words, to everyone in this kingdom, that when you hear the king's musicians play music with all their instruments as the sound of a symphony, you are to fall down on your knees and worship this golden image, this idol, perform the practice of adultery to please the king. And whoever doesn't do this, you'll be cast into a fiery furnace to perish. Well, most all people did it, what was commanded, but there were three men named Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who refused to offer their worship to an idol god. They had a god. They'd always worshiped and would not worship any other god, especially a false image. They would not compromise their worship for their true living god, for a false god who deserved no worship. But there were certain Chaldeans who witnessed them refusing to do so, reported their disobedience to the king, of them not bowing down the time commanded. These Chaldeans, they go to the king, remind him he made a decree, and that he said if anyone refused, they would be thrown into a fiery furnace. Their report to the king made him furious. So he sent for the three boys. He questioned them, is this true? Is what I've been told is that you're refusing to bow down? They refused to answer. So the king says, very well, we'll just find out right now. Play the music, boys, and let's see. Let's see what they do, whether they bow or not. 
And he warns them, if you do not, there is no God to save you from my hands. And you'll be cast immediately into a fiery furnace. They finally responded to the king saying, we have no need to answer you in this matter. But in verse 17, they say to the king, if that's the case, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and he will deliver us from your hand. They were saying, if you do what you say, our God will defend us. And they went on to say, but if not, if he doesn't deliver us, let it be known to you, O king, that we did not serve your gods, nor did we worship the golden image you have set up. In other words, if we die in that furnace today, we'd rather do that knowing that we did not serve any other God than the one that we truly know. We'll only be guilty of dying for the one true God we believe in. We'd rather die a martyr than a sinner. As Paul put it, whether I live or whether I die, I am the Lord's. What does it profit you to gain the whole world only to lose your soul? These men were not willing to compromise just because things got hard. In verse 19 says, King Nebuchadnezzar Caesar become curious these men and their responses and their challenges to his authority. I mean, he's the king. He has all the power he believed. He hadn't come to realize yet who the king of kings was just yet. He was so mad that he told his soldiers, turn the furnace up seven times hotter than it's ever been. He commanded certain mighty men of valor, bind them boys and cast them into the fiery furnace. And they were taken immediately, clothes, hats, all, and were bound and thrown into the fires. The flames of the furnace were so hot that the men who threw them in the furnace were even killed by the fire. Then in verse 24, the king is astonished by what he saw while watching the fire in the furnace from a safe distance. He saw three men go inbound. Yet he raises a question. Did we not throw three men inbound into the fire? And they answered, that is true, O king. But then verse 25, the king hollers, look, I see four men loosed and walking in the fire, and they are not hurt, and the form of the fourth man is like the Son of God. Hallelujah. King Neb went towards the mouth of the furnace, and he commanded the boys to come out of the furnace. And as they did, all the great leaders of that kingdom watched and witnessed all these three boys come walking out of the fiery furnace, witnessing that the fire of this furnace had no power over their bodies, not a hair on their head was singed, nor their bodies burned, their clothes didn't even smell like smoke. Oh, we fix and go somewhere in just a minute. Stay with me. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. King Neb in verse 28 said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted him. And they have frustrated the king's word. In other words, man's word. And they have yielded their bodies. So they shall, shall not serve nor worship. So they shall not serve nor worship. So they shall not serve nor worship any other God except their own. And in verse 29, King Nebuchadnezzar says, Therefore, I make a decree that any people of any nation or language which speaks against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut into pieces and their houses burned to the ground. And I like what else he says. Listen as to why he declares this. He says, because there is no, say no, because there is no 
other God who can deliver like this. So can you understand tonight that it's still true today? There is no other God who can deliver us like this. There's no other God who can deliver you like this. That regardless of your situation, regardless of your circumstances, we must always put our trust in God and declare that he can deliver us and be good with it. Even if he don't, that whether I live or whether I die, I'm the Lord's, but I'm going to be promoted either way. Whether he heals me down here or he heals me up there whether he delivers me down here or he delivers me up there he will deliver me I just have to make the right decision for his provisions I have to decide what God I'm going to serve the gods of the heathens the astrologers the sorcerers the magicians or Jehovah God Almighty the one and the only true living God who can deliver me now, let me put this together to confirm my opening remarks to you tonight and decree that God is fixing to promote his people, his church, to a new level of power and anointing and authority. That in these last days, God's fixing to start promoting men and women of God. Well, who's that going to be? Let me show you what I didn't show you. I didn't show you everything. As I talked about Daniel in chapter 1, I left out verse 48 for a reason until now. Yeah. And as I talked to you about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in chapter 3, I left out verse 30 for a reason until now. So I'm going to go back, and I'm going to pick them two verses up to show you my point, what God's saying to the church. In chapter 1, I told you everything Daniel went through. And how Daniel refused to compromise his God for any other gods or idols. And he refused to allow the wickedness of an immoral culture to transform his heart. He was tested by this king. And he was not willing to waver. And as a result, let's read now what I didn't read earlier. Chapter 1, verse 48. Because of the stand Daniel took when the testing of his faith was over. Verse 48 says, Then... The king promoted him and gave him many gifts, and he made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief administrator over all the wise men of Babylon. When did he promote him? After he wasn't willing to compromise, and he passed the test of his faithfulness to the God he served. He remained faithful to his God. He showed his enemies mercy. He stood brave and courageous under the anointing of God. And he declared truth to the king, regardless of the consequences he could have faced. And as a result of his unwavering faithfulness, he was promoted. Who actually promoted him? The king? <laughs> no, it was the king of kings and the Lord of lords who gave him favor. And because of the stand he took in the midst of an immoral culture and an ungodly king, his God promoted him. Now we have this righteous man who's overseeing the evil kingdom of Babylon. And if God raised someone up then, he can raise someone up now. Mm. Now let's pick up with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who faced their greatest trial of their faith. And let's see what the results of theirs was. In verse 30, 
that I left out to now to show you. These three men were not willing to bow down to the gods of this earth, to any false image or any ungodly king, even if it meant dying in a fiery furnace. They chose to obey God and not man. When man was going to lead them astray from their God, the God that they've known all their lives to be true to them, just because they were going to have to go through the fire, they believed that even if they did, God would deliver them in the fire. But even if he didn't, he was still going to be their God. And they'd rather go through the fire and let their faith please their God rather than avoid the fire for a false hope of a false God. They were not willing to compromise as a result of what happened to these boys is found in verse 30, I mean, which I haven't read. But let's read it. After they passed their test, unwilling to compromise their beliefs, verse 30 says, Then the king promoted them. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. When, when were they promoted? After they went through the fire, the trial, the affliction, the testing of their faith. Why were they promoted? Because they weren't willing to deny their God regardless of their situations. They truly stood firm in their belief that their God would never leave them, nor would he ever forsake them. And as a reward to their faithfulness, the king promoted them church. It wasn't the king. It was actually the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Hallelujah. Promoted them above all the great leaders and all the astrologers and all the sorcerers and all the counterfeiters of this earth. And I've come to tell you now who God is going to promote is those people who are like Daniel. I'm going to tell you who's going to promote. Those who will not compromise their beliefs. They will not conform to an immoral culture or customs. And will not serve any other gods but Jehovah God Almighty. He's going in the last days to promote those like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who find themselves in the trials of their lives, bound there in the very own fiery furnace of affliction and tragic circumstances. But I want to tell you, but regardless of your situations, you have kept on believing in your God. You have stood firm and you have been fast to declare. And no matter what situation I'm in, I trust my God with my life. I trust my God with my spouse's life. I trust my God with my children's life. I'd rather trust them and lose them to my God than to trust man and lose them to hell. What it says in chapter 3, verse 28 God's going to send his angels to deliver his people who trust him. And I've come to tell the Daniels, hallelujah, and the Shadrachs and the Meshachs and the Abednegoes that God's permission to promote you to where? To where you will be the remnant of faith and power that will overcome this world and the spirits of this age. That you're going to possess the true, genuine spirit of God that when evil appears, your spirit will repel the forces of that evil nature, conquering and canceling the assignments of our enemy. And men and women who are in bondage will be set free from the wiles of their enemy. The spirit of this age, the astrologers, the sorcerers, the witchcraft will be expelled by the spirit of God that worketh through you. 
His church will be promoted over regions of this earth to be a conqueror of the enemies and his schemes. I'm going to tell you, we are in the greatest, most unusual assault of our enemy. But palace of praise, get ready. God's fixing to promote this church. Mm. Where doth saith the Lord will overpower the false doctrine of our enemies. And what is now dark will become light unto our world. And I want to tell the Daniels and the Shadrachs and the Meshachs and the Abednegoes, I want to tell them whether they're here tonight to hear it or not. I want to proclaim it. Maybe they're all listening by the live feed or whatever, or maybe you can just tell them, but I'm just fixing to tell heaven and proclaim what heaven says. I say to Greg Calhoun, I say to Brad Carson, I say to Roxanne Carson, I say to Eddie Standridge, I say to Jack Pruitt, I say to Tony Barber, I say to Catherine Carey, I say to Lee Eglin, I say to Butch Ward, I say to Glenn Miller, I say to Ed Seal, and I say to Josh Cochran and every other believer going through the battles of their life, and I say this to every other Daniel, Meshach, and Abednego in this building, get ready, because God's fixing to promote you. Why? Because you've been unwavering. You've been uncompromising your beliefs. And you have trusted God in your fire. This church is purposed unto greatness. And our adversity is the propelling force that will make us stronger and more tenacious in our faith than we've ever, ever been. I want you to stand to your feet. I want the musicians to come. And I want everybody in this place that says, I'm ready for my promotion. I'm ready to go to the next level. I want to ask you to come forward in a moment. You say, I've been persecuted but not destroyed. I've been abandoned but not defeated. I've been cast down, but I won't stay down because I believe that my God will deliver me. And even if he don't, let it be known this night, I do not forsake my God because I believe my God will never, ever forsake me. And I come forward tonight to testify of my unwavering faith that I might be in a fire, but my God is in it with me. I believe God's fixing to astonish the wicked leaders of this world who believe the church is no longer relevant when they see with their very own eyes that the Son of God is with us because righteousness will exalt this nation. Oh, come on. I want every Daniel. I want every Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. You have labored and you have labored, but it's time to be promoted by the Spirit. It's time for your faith to grow stronger than it's ever had. It's time for a new fresh wind of the Spirit to refresh you. God's fixing to unleash greater knowledge and wisdom and insight into the spirit of his believers. He's going to give us favor like he gave Daniel to overcome the wickedness of this kingdom. God's going to promote those who've been through the fire and have trusted God. Those who have refused to bow down to this wicked generation and the idolatry of this nation. There's only one God you should ever bow down to. But there's going to be one God one day that every knee's going to bow and every tongue's going to fast, that he's Lord of lords and he's King of kings. Can you lift up your hands? Hallelujah. I tell you. Lift up your hands. I want the musicians to get to pray. And I want to lay my hands on you under the anointing power of the Holy Ghost tonight. And I want you to receive a promotion of your spirit that takes you to another level of faith. I'm going to need some prayer warriors to help me out on this one. I'm going to need them young men, Zach and Mike, 
Some of you, Chuck, I'm going to need some of you guys, you prayer warriors. I'm going to need you to lay hands on people. I don't want somebody, nobody to leave this place not getting their hands laid on them. I believe this thing, and I want you to believe this thing by faith. I need some women, too, that can come up here and lay hands. Where's Rhonda Burden? Is she here? I want you to lay hands on people. Rhonda, begin laying hands on the women. Go ahead, man. 